Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinara. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Matt O'Hayan with you on this Friday evening. Welcome to the Sick Podcast. Uh, uh, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, I'm a little. Uh, I'm in a little bit of a somber mood right now, as uh, many of you may know. About seven hours ago uh, from right now, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals announced that Joe Burrow is done for the season. So uh, yeah. Very upset, very, very upset, very bad day for me, um, but we'll move forward and talk Habs. Not that things are going much better uh, with the way of the Canadians, so let's get down to business. Sick Podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Energy Transportation Group has been, have been named by the Financial Times one of America's fastest growing companies in 2023 and have been recognized by the Globe and Mail as a top-growing Canadian company for two years in a row. They work with some of the best Fortune 500 companies, providing end-to-end logistics services, join a winning team, and check out Energy's career page for more opportunities. All right, we are also brought to you by Playground. Experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables. A bad beat jackpot that is already over $700,000 after the world record-setting amount of two million five hundred and ninety. And $90,000 was won on August 2nd. Uh, weekly promotions, daily tournaments, and unmatched customer service. Why pay anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes away from downtown Montreal. Playground. And, of course, by La Bitta TV Beer. Brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste la bit at tb embrace your true nature all right um bad night for the video no uh no other way to put it uh last night they lost uh six five in a game where they probably didn't deserve the two points especially if you ask uh head coach martin saint louis and uh that's just a larger part of a really frankly a bad week for the canadians uh results wise we'll talk um because uh listen they could they have won that game against? Should they have won that game against Calgary? Probably, but they didn't, and uh, they should have lost that game against Vegas. They were in it though, had an opportunity to steal two points, and they did not. And of course, they got uh, just housed by the Vancouver Canucks and uh, beat. 
the Boston Bruins the night before that. That was everything that has happened since the last time I had spoken to you. To break it all down, we bring in from Montreal Gazette, Mr. Stu Cowan. Stu, how we doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, you said that injury bug has made it all the way from Montreal down to Cincinnati now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, last night it's uh, it's crazy. It's just I, I I'm interested to know more because you know people were saying that Burrow. Well, there was a picture uh, that that Burrow had that uh, wrist brace on uh, when the plane landed in Baltimore. He it's there was a picture of him wearing a wrist brace, but he wasn't on the injury report. So uh, that'd be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what happened there uh, as he, uh, I think he's due to speak to the media if he didn't already. So uh, we should learn more about that. But yeah, that injury bug uh, got a one-way ticket from uh, Montreal or uh, a two-way ticket. There go. It's going both ways. Uh, return traffic from Montreal to Cincinnati, the injury bug. So uh, you were at practice this morning. Do we got an update on Arbor Jacka? Yeah, Arbor Jacka, they've listed him as day-to-day uh, upper body injury. It looked like he was favoring his left shoulder after that big hit from uh, Barbershev last night. Uh, it was the right shoulder he was operated on last year that ended his season. So uh, this is the other side. Um, massive hit, clean hit. It looked like uh, Jacka maybe wasn't ready for it or didn't get, expect to get hit that hard. I asked his buddy, uh, Jonathan Kovacevic, about it tonight, or this morning, I should say, at practice. And he was saying, you know, he, he really noticed the Barbershop in the playoffs last year, watching him and just how physical he plays and how hard he hits. And Barbershop's six foot and just under 200 pounds, and Arbor's like 6'4 and 240. And said, sometimes you get a strong guy who's a little bit shorter than the other guy. The angle they can come up and hit a guy can knock a guy off balance. And that seems to be what happened with, uh, with Jack. So they're saying day to day, him and his dad did. Uh, make the trip to Boston together. That was the father's trip uh, for the game tomorrow. Uh, so that's a good sign. Um, but again, he didn't practice today. It looks like he probably won't play tomorrow night. But Jordan Harris, who's missed the last couple of games with an upper body injury, he did practice this morning. He's been given the green light to play. So uh, I imagine he'll be taking Jack Eye's spot in the lineup against Boston. But the Kings are going to miss our Jack He's the physical presence that he brings. Uh, him and Michael Pozzetta, the only two guys on the team who really have it. Uh, and Jack Eye plays a lot more minutes than Pizzetta and going into Boston, which is always a tough game. Um, Jack Eye is going to be a, a tough guy to be missing, and they're going in there on a three-game losing streak. Yeah, um, but like you said, uh, that he is making the trip, which is nice to hear because, you know, these days, uh, especially with the Canadians, you know, when they say day-to-day, yeah, you know, you know, like you can't – it's not a true day-to-day, so – Maybe uh, maybe it's not a true day-to-day. Maybe uh, Jack Eye's dad already had his tickets booked and whatever, didn't take cancellation insurance, and uh, yeah, yeah. Said, well, uh, you're coming trip. in, you're coming on the trip. I was talking with Suzuki after the game last night, and he was saying that the fa- he's, as captain, he's obviously involved in the mm-hmm. decision when they're going to have the father's trip, and it was decided on in the summer. Uh, last year with the mothers, they actually went on the road for two games. They were in Washington on New Year's Eve. And then in Nashville, I think it was January 3rd, but Suzuki was saying they couldn't really find any two road trips that were really appealing or would have been appealing to the dads this year. So they figured uh, watching Vegas play in Montreal would be a good game. And then going to Boston is always fun. So that's what they decided to do with his father's trip. So I'm happy um, for Jack. I did, uh, I'm sure his dad was really looking forward to this. I'm sure Jack I was like all the players. So it's nice to know that at least uh, they were able to get on the plane together and, and fly there this afternoon. Yeah, it's nice to see. Uh, another thing that's nice to see is, uh, I mean, we'll talk individual performances before we talk Canadians' performance as a whole. Uh, nice to see Alex Newhook find his way back onto the score sheet last night. Yeah, I think it was 13. Well, he had three goals in the first three games. He hadn't scored since then. 
Um, and you can see the reaction when he did score, just how happy he was mm-hmm. to finally get one. I mean, there's a lot of guys struggling to score right now. Tanner Pearson's got 11 games without a goal. Uh, Jake Evans hasn't scored since the first goal of the season. Slavkovsky has one goal. And a really big concern is that you know, Cole Cockrell has one goal in the last 10 games. And only one goal, one of his five goals this season was at five on five. Uh, one was on a power play and the other three were in overtime. So they've got to get him going. Uh, you know, it's amazing they're scoring as much as they did, especially against uh, Vegas without getting anything from Caulfield. Uh, splitting up him and Suzuki hasn't seemed to really work. Uh, we saw them back together again in the third period last night with Newhook. Um, I, th- you know, I think they need to put them back together just trying to get Caulfield going. And it might be time also to split up that veteran line with Monaghan and Pearson and Gallagher. Uh, as I said, Pearson, it's 11 games without a goal. Monaghan, I believe it's seven games without a goal. And Gallagher has like one goal in the last six games. They were the best, most consistent line through the early part of the season. Uh, but there's a lot of guys that got to get scoring. And it'll be interesting to see tomorrow night in Boston if Marty starts juggling the lines a bit, maybe putting Suzuki and Caulfield back together. Maybe put Pearson with them or somebody else with them to try and get them going. Uh, now the Josh Anderson saga continues. <laughs> Just amazing to think you guys got 17 games without scoring a goal and the chances. I mean, you know, when the couple of games ago where he had a great chance in the slot and his stick snapped in half, he had another empty net and the puck hopped over his stick. It's like everything is going bad for him right now. Um, but I, I, can, I think we may need to switch up the lines a little bit uh, if Marty St. Louis wants to get some guys going. You know, call me crazy, but listen, uh, I I understand he's getting some chances and maybe it's not bouncing the right way for him, but this is a results-driven industry. And uh, at the beginning of the year, um, Yoel Armia had a very weak camp and -hmm. they dropped him down to the minors. Yeah. Had a great couple games in Laval. They said, all right, you deserve it. They brought him back up. What's what's the deal here? What's like is Marty St. Louis playing favorites? Like what's going on? Like no, Josh Anderson, like not drop, not drop him down, but like but you notice Josh. There's got to be sound. Well, there's got to be some accountability somewhere. You notice Josh Anderson every time he's on the ice, he's finishing his checks, he's skating hard, he's getting all kinds of chances. You'll arm you. Most nights you don't even notice if he played or not. That's right. the difference. I mean, you'll arm you. The effort level. Hasn't been there. I mean, he's one of those frustrating players to watch. I can't even imagine how frustrating he must be to coach with all the, you know, he has all the skills. He has all the packages. He's, he's big. He can skate. He can shoot. He can, but he just never seems to be able to put it together. For Anderson, he's doing everything except putting the puck in the net. Like, there's not much else to criticize about his game. It's just his lack of finish. And Marty St. Louis has been sticking with him. I know people are criticizing. He's sticking with him on the power play. He's, he's St. Louis determined, I believe, that. Once he gets one, they'll start to come in bunches. And he's a proven guy that he can score 20 goals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think 21 last year, and he only played 59 games. So it's really, you know, all goal scorers go through slumps. But to see one like this, especially at the start of the season, it, it's highlighted even more uh, when it starts right off. I know uh, Pat Hickey used to always like to say, you know, a guy who scores 30 goals, that means he goes at least 52 games each year without scoring. So, uh, but they go 17 in a row to start the season. It's not the way you want to start it off. Um, but I also believe that Anderson, once he gets one, it's got to be getting to him now mentally. I mean, it has to be. It's impossible not to be. Um, you know, and, and I think I think once he gets one, he'll get a, get a couple quick. But to compare him with Armia, uh, I think it's apples and oranges just because it's, it's sort of like with Brendan Gallagher too. Like if Brendan Gallagher is not scoring, it's not because he's not busting his butt every shift mm. and working hard. He does that every shift. It's the only way he knows how to play. And um, with Josh Anderson, Josh Anderson's working hard and you know, hitting, and he's like he's fifth or sixth on the team in shots on goal. 
you know, he leads the NHL in drawing penalties. Um, he's doing, a, I said, he's doing a lot of good things. Just he can't score. So, um, you know, sending him down to, to Laval compared with Armia. Like to me, I wasn't surprised when they sent Armia down to Laval. I wasn't surprised when he cleared waivers. Nobody's mm. going to pick up that contract at $3.4 million. I was surprised when they called Armia back up, though, because he's 30 years old. He is who he is, right? We've seen it for years. We saw it. Buffalo saw it after they drafted him. Winnipeg saw it. He looked great for a game or two, and then he just disappears. He puts on an invisible mm. man suit, and you don't notice him. And then you see Yolen in last night, who scores two goals. He's got three goals now this season. He was a healthy scratch for five of the six games that Armia played, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, Yolen is 24 years old. He's part of the rebuild here. He could be part of this team when they get where they want to go. Uh, he's playing on the fourth line. He's got some scoring ability. St. Louis said after practice today, he's a type of guy who wouldn't hesitate to use him on the power play. He has that finishing ability. We saw that on the breakaway goal he scored. So to have him sitting in the press box while Yol Army is playing at this point in the team's rebuild, to me, makes absolutely no sense. So I also wasn't surprised when they sent Armia back down a little I'd be surprised if they call him back up again unless there's major injuries that happen. I'd rather see that ice time go to Jonathan War or somebody else if they're going to call somebody up from Laval. Uh, Yol Armia is who he is, and that's it. And to me, at this point, you just leave him in Laval. He's got one more year left on his contract, and after that, it's done. And I think his career is done, too. I can't see anybody picking him up. And Marty St. Louis had a great quote earlier this season when he was asked about Armia, and he said – you know, your NHL career goes by so fast and you have to really enjoy it and make the most of every day you're in the NHL because your life after the NHL is really long. You know, you guys are at 35 or whatever. You got like 50 years left to live without the NHL. And it was a great quote. And I think that's something that, you know, Army came back that first game back and he scored a goal and he looked great. And you figure, okay, he got the message, you know, your, your career could be over. You got it. And then all of a sudden you just went back yeah. to being the old army again. And it's uh uh, it's been frustrating to watch, and, and it's hard to understand a guy with that much talent. And if sending him down to Laval didn't give him the message, like, buddy, you're, you know, your career's you're not going to be playing anymore. You're not going to be able to make, making the money you're making anymore either. Mm. But, um, for whatever reason, just Joel Army just has never been able to really put it together. As I said before in your show, he's a, he's a big, quiet, shy guy who plays hockey like a big, quiet, shy guy. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, more the, the accountability thing I mentioned, it was more just just sit him for a game, sit him for a shift. Like, I feel like, you know. I think more more than that, I could see, like, take him off the power play and maybe put you all in. Yeah. Like, there that I can see at this point. Okay, we've given you every opportunity, Josh, to get a goal. You've been on the power play, the first power play unit the whole time. I've stuck with you. You're a big body. You still affect me. Some of the power play goals they've scored is because he's been in front of the net screening or blocking. Mm -hmm. or, you know, he wins puck battles. but. That I could see as sort of okay. You know, we've given you every chance. We're going to give somebody else a chance now, uh, like a Yolanin maybe, or or uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even Slavkovsky, who's part of your future. He's the guy that they're continue. You put him in that spot, maybe in the middle in, in the power play, and hope he can maybe get a goal or two and get his confidence going. Um, but that I could see. I could see St. Louis doing that. Like to me, sending you know, ben, uh, making Josh Anderson a healthy scratch or sending Laval. I don't see that as. Uh, the right move at this point, but maybe taking him off the power play and giving that, or at least putting him on the second unit and giving somebody else a chance in that spot to me would make sense. You know, I would also just like to see maybe, uh, you know, when it comes to Josh Anderson, something that could get him going. If you did drop him down the lineup, now theoretically, you're going to be the, if your fourth line is out there against the team's second line, let's say, chances are you're in your own zone. And 
when you're when you exit the zone, you're going to be on probably uh, if you get a good bounce, you'll be on an odd man rush. Josh Anderson's always been good off the rush. Mm-hmm. I feel like that could something like that could get him going because like the Canadians, they don't play off the rush as much. They're really just trying to set up in the zone, trying to trying to look for multiple options uh, through a possession game. I, I I like him off the rush. He's an effective player, and we're just we can't. He can't play to his strengths that much right now because that's what he's done for, you know, most of his career before Martin St. Louis came in. What I'd think about doing if I was Martin St. Louis at this point, as I mentioned that veteran line, it's probably time to break them up. I would think seriously about putting uh, Sean Monaghan with Anderson and Slavkovsky to mm-hmm. try and get both of them going. And Sean Monaghan is just such a smart hockey player, does all the little things right. A uh, good playmaker can finish when he needs to finish. He has the ability to slow the game down a bit for Slavkovsky when needed. Uh, he has a passing ability to, to find Josh Anderson. I mean, nobody gets more breakaways on the Canes than Josh Anderson. Find them if he's open. So I think that would be a line that could be effective. And Marty Singler could almost, hopefully for him, kill two birds with one stone away. Maybe, maybe Sean Monaghan is a guy who can get both Slavkovsky and Anderson going uh, offensively. Mm-hmm. And, no, he's so good. Wins face-off, so they're going to have the puck a lot. He's good in his own zone defensively. I think Sean Monaghan makes whoever you play him with better. And Slavkowski played with him briefly last season before Monaghan's uh, broken foot ended his uh, season and, and spoke about how much he liked playing with him and how Monaghan could slow the game down for him a bit. So it'll be interesting to see what the lines are Saturday in Boston. I mean, the next team's next five games are on the road, so it's not going to get any easier. Uh, but that's that's a line that I would, I'd like to see put together because I think Monaghan – might be able to get both of those guys going. You know, let's uh, flip over quickly to a positive. Uh, As someone who's, for the most part, been playing well over the season as a whole, had a little bit of a stretch there where he had a bit of a dip in play, but, you know, suspected injury, he didn't look 100% healthy. But what more could be said about Mike Matheson? I mean, this guy is just, every time I watch him, He's just – I'm amazed with something new, whether it's his offensive ability, his skating ability, even his 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 ability to track back and play defensively. It's just he's been, I find, a big rock for the Canadians this year when, you know, like you look at a guy like Nick Suzuki who's had his own struggles this year. He hasn't really been the Nick Suzuki of years past because even last year when he went through some scoring troubles, I found that it was – not built in excuses, but it was like, he's the iron man. He's out there every night. He has new teammates. He puts his head down. He never complains and he's doing what he has to do. He's always making the right plays. He might not be putting the puck in the net, but he's, he's doing the right thing. He's playing the right way. I, I find that guy this year is uh, Mike Matheson. Yeah. I mean, Suzuki, I mean, Suzuki is just a 200 foot player. I mean, his, his offense is going to come and go. I mean, he's still, you know, he's still producing, um, splitting them up with Caulfield, as I mentioned, I don't think I think it's time to put them back together and get them going. Uh, but with Matheson, I mean, his skating is elite. I mean, Marty Sandler was talking about it earlier in the week. Says he glides on the ice. He doesn't chew into the mm-hmm. ice. He makes it. It's effortless. He's that allows him. Partly allows him. Plus the fact he's in such great shape to play so many minutes. He's a bit high risk. I mean, there's a lot of fans out there. You see criticism all the time during the games on Twitter about his giveaways and getting caught up ice and. The thing is, any defenseman, I mean, the same thing was said about P.K. Subban when he was here. Any defenseman who carries the puck a lot and skates a lot with the puck is going to cough it up. It's just 
part of the game. They're going to be checked harder. Mm -hmm. They're going to take more risks. Like you compare him to a Jonathan Kovacevic, who I think is a really good third pairing defense. And he's really smart. It just, he makes a safe play all the time, right? You watch Kovacevic, he'll chip it off the glass. He'll make the, the safe pass. He's really smart. He knows his limitations and he plays within his limitations. Well, the limitations for Matheson are a lot higher than the limitations for Kovacevic. And he plays up to his limitations and sometimes beyond them which is why he can sometimes be a bit of a defensive liability and, and cough up the puck. But after years of watching boring Canadians hockey where defensemen weren't allowed to carry the puck past the, you know, the red line and weren't allowed to pinch in at the blue line, it's refreshing to see not just him, but all the defensemen. You watch how many times the defensemen pinch in at the mm -hmm. blue line when the puck comes around to keep it in the offensive zone. Whereas under Dominic Deschamps, they're always backing up, which is one of the reasons they played most of the game in their own name. Um, but with Matheson, he's just he, he's an effortless skater. He's got a lot of offensive ability. He's got a great shot. He's got good vision for passing. He's gonna you got to take the good with the bad though. He's gonna have some nights where yeah. he's gonna a couple of nights that are back to back. He was a minus three, and there's gonna be nights he's gonna have giveaways. But people focus on the giveaways more than they focus on the offense that he generates. And it was the same thing I remember with PK Subban. People would say, talk about him coughing up the puck. Yeah, but how many scoring chances did he create? And how many times did he skate the puck out of his own end? Uh, and things like that. So you got to weigh the pros with the cons. And I'm with you. There's a lot more pros and cons with Mike Matheson's game, the way he plays. He's also physical. Um, I said, great shot, great skating ability. And I'm sure he loves playing with the freedom he has now uh, to do those kinds of things. And, you know, speaking with the other younger defensemen, and they were talking about uh, Stefan Robita, the defense coach, and they were saying that, you know, he, they're allowed, they're letting them make mistakes as they, and that includes Matheson, mm -hmm. but the young guys, and it's one of the reasons the young guys, I think, have improved the way they have since coming in, so many at the same time, is just playing without that fear of making a mistake constantly in the back of their mind. You know, if I make one mistake, I'm going to be a healthy scratch, or I'm going to be uh, sitting on the bench, or I get traded, or I might get sent down. And for years and years and years, I think that was a big problem with the Canadians' development. Whereas now with this young group of defensemen, they're allowed to play with confidence. You see with Gooley, you see with Kotler, with um, Jacka, you see the confidence he has when he carries a puck. He's not afraid to skate with it. You see it to a lesser extent with Kobachevic. He'll, he'll pinch in, but he he's, he's a perfect example of a player playing to his limitations, knowing what his limitations are and playing right up to them, but realizing, no, I can't do that. No, I can't I can't mm. do the things Mike Matson might try to do. But I agree. I think Matson and what a trade by Kent Hughes. He basically got him for nothing. You know, Ryan Kelly's yeah. no longer in Pittsburgh, and Jeff Petrie's no longer in, P in Pittsburgh. That's what he gave up for him. So um, a really good trade. It's a, it's a reasonable contract he's playing under. It's a Montreal guy. He loves playing here. He wants to play here. His family's here. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Mike Matheson's uh, been, been one of their best players this season. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you took the words right out of, right out of my mouth when you said, uh, you know, you got to take the good with the bad because I, I, th I think, you know, even with the freedom – that the young defensemen are playing with, like you said, like they're, they shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes and it's okay. That's a lot of responsibility because mm -hmm. they know when they are playing well and when they're yeah. not playing well. But, yeah. but the, the thing is, is, like you said, you know, you take the good with the bad because when a guy like uh, a guy like Matheson has that offensive ability, you don't want to limit that. You want to unlock that ability mm -hmm. to the best that it can be, to the high, the peak of the potential. You can't see my arm. Yeah. Uh, the peak of the potential, um, and the defensive, the defensive miscues that could be cleaned up. 
You know, th- that's yeah, fine. Yeah, Some offensive talent, offensive talent like he has and like how a lot of players in the NHL have when yeah. it comes to defensemen, that can't be taught. So unlock the offensive ability mm-hmm. to the maximum and then worry about the defensive miscues later. Exactly. And the same with Caden Gooley. I mean, you see the way Caden Gooley is skating with the puck so confident this season and really standing out when he plays three on three. Last night was a bit of a rough night for Caden Gooley. He had, you know, it was one of his week, if not his worst game this season. Uh, we had a couple of giveaways there. He finished up minus two for what plus minus is worth, but it wasn't a great game, but that's going to happen over an 82 game season. I mean, he's played great. I'll, I'll, he had one sort of off night. Uh, but I'm sure he'll bounce back in Boston and play well. And part of that is because he's not going to be punished severely for having a bit of an off night. Um, the defense I spoke with Stefan Robidon, it's a very similar thing um, to Luke Richardson when he was coaching defense here. I remember Jeff Petrie talking about that with me then, and the players talking about now is that Robidon doesn't yell and scream at guys when they come back. I mean, players know when they made a mistake. You know you screwed up, and last thing you need to come back to the bench having the coach yelling and screaming at you. But Robert is very good at showing them video clips and breaking down, showing them what they did wrong, what they could have done, other options they might have had. And that's the way they've chosen to teach these young guys without just killing their confidence. And I remember when Victor Mete got, uh, went to Ottawa and uh, one of the interviews, he said, talked about how hard it was to play in Montreal where you always had the coach breathing down your neck and you knew that any time you made a mistake, any time you made a giveaway or you coughed it up, you were going to sit on the bench or you were going to go sent down to Laval or you're going to get traded or something like that. And it's really... It's hard for anybody in the NHL to play like that, but especially for a young defenseman just trying to get their footing in the NHL. And with the Canadians having so many of them, with seven rookies who played last year, if, if you're going to be on them like that, they're not going to develop. They're going to they're going to play scared. And they're and, and Mike Matheson, same thing. If he's he's going to be playing scared, if he knows every time he rushes the puck. And I mean, how many how many times have you seen Mike Matheson this season? come around his net and cut in front of his net like we see Bobby Orr do. I was like, when was the last Canadian's defense and we ever saw do that? You know, and maybe once in a while he might get caught a bit, but like it'll be once out of 10 times, it seems. It's a really effective move. He used when he comes around, he cuts out and he carries the puck out. Mm. But when he does lose the puck, Matheson, he works incredibly hard. Like he realizes he screwed up and he works incredibly hard to try and get it back. And that's because he's playing with that freedom that he knows he, 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 can, he, knows he can take risks and if it doesn't work off, um, it's not going to be severely punished for it. But he realizes that he's got to get the puck back. It's not. Uh, it's not like oh, I lost it. It's no big deal. No. Well, the, the the other thing is, is when you mention like that move that he makes and how effective it is, and how nine out of ten times it's going to work, and the one out of ten it's not mm-hmm. going to. Well, that's you know. Listen, look, we're uh, we're 26 minutes into this podcast and I'm about to make my first football analogy. I think that's a record for how long it took. Um, you know, like it's like when you see a team go for it all the time on fourth and one mm-hmm. or in the CFL third and one. And, you know, you, 99% of the time, yeah. you know, you're going to get it. It's a yard. If it's, it's a it's, it's 100%. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. But then there's that one time where mm-hmm. it doesn't work out and then you see the next day the analysts are going crazy mm-hmm. or they kicked the field goal uh, or they they went for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal like they'll go nuts but you don't say anything or give praise to the decision had it worked yeah so that's one of those things where it's like okay it's very noticeable because it's very costly when it doesn't work yeah. But it's not like it's costing him, 
you know, every time he does it and he just keeps on doing it. So yeah. again, it, it's, I, I feel like a lot of Canadians fans, and I understand it's frustrating because the, it's a couple of years now that they're a bottom of the barrel team, but that's what it is. You know, the team, uh, the, the front head office didn't say the P word this yeah. off season. So yeah. you got to temper expectations, allow them to continue to make mistakes. But at, I, I, the, the side I do empathize with, is that at a certain point there do, there does have to be accountability somewhere on mistakes and uh, where I'm going next for accountability is like penalties like yeah I you know, listen this team is uh, they do a lot of good things uh, taking penalties is something they're very good at doing unfortunately and yeah. at, at a certain point when does when when exact very bad penalties too and cost and costly time of the game not that any penalty is uh, you know it yeah. comes at a good time but. Uh, who takes the fall for this? Like, does this fall to me? This falls on Martin Saint Louis. Yeah, there's got to be more of a crackdown. I mean, Slavkovsky took some people thought it wasn't a penalty. I thought he took a really bad penalty behind the opposition's net. Uh, and then Gallagher, after you know, the final minute, two minutes left, or whatever, two and a half minutes left, and he takes the four minute high sticking penalty, which ended up costing them the game. And it's happened a few times with Gallagher. Uh, mm-hmm. And the thing with Gallagher, as I mentioned earlier, the effort's so much there and, and the hard work's there. But he's almost got to tone it down a bit near the end of the game because that's too often he's taking those aggressive penalties. That high, I mean, it was, it looked the first from my vantage point in the press, but it looked like a trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was definitely a penalty. And then we saw the replay, and it was definitely a high stick to the guy in the face. But it was just a case of being over aggressive on, on the play. Like you got to know the score, and you got to know, you know, Suzuki was talking after the game that he, you know, he, he wasn't wasn't down on what Gallagher did because he uh, prevented a scoring chance and it was a good scoring chance and he was trying to make a play. And that's all true, but you just got to be, you got just got to be smarter with your stick and smarter with realizing where you are. You know, I mentioned Slavkowski, like taking that holding penalty behind the opposition's net on a four check, Well, just finish your check. Don't, you know, don't mm-hmm. sort of grab them. And, and, but we've seen that with a lot of players this season and just too many minor penalties. It seemed to clean up a little bit there for a while. Uh, but last night that was a huge penalty. But it didn't cost them the game. You know they were, they were yeah they were a tie game. It cost them at least a point anyway. Because you figure they probably would have been able to at least get into overtime. But again, the what the thing that's impressed me most about this team, and it's right since Marty Sandler took over again, another case that they didn't give up. Right, they came back. They almost tied it at the end. I mean Suzuki had a great mm-hmm. chance at the end. They were down you know six four and made it six five and almost tied it up. They just they don't they just keep competing and keep fighting. I think it goes back to what we were talking about. A, letting players make mistakes and learn from like, they want to keep coming at you. They keep going, they keep going, they keep working hard, but yeah, the penalties just keep making it harder and harder. And especially those ones at the end of the game. And it's happened three or four times. They like with Brendan Gallagher this season where he's taken late penalties. And does it get to the point where you don't put him on the ice the last, you know, four or five minutes of a game when you're either tied or you have a lead. If, if it's too much of a risk. And as I said with Gallagher, it's just nothing about Gallagher is because he's lazy. You know, they're not lazy. penalties. They're just, being too aggressive, and he's got, I think, to just learn in those last couple of minutes of the game, and it's a tie game, just to tone it down just a bit and make sure you're not taking penalties and costing your team. You know, the the thing I'll say is you, there's a couple of things there. One, I love that you said it, it costed them the game because mm-hmm. so a lot of people out there, and I learned this the hard way last week watching the Bengals, but I'm going to stick to hockey, is that a lot of people out there will say – you can't blame Gallagher for the loss because the Canadians were in the position. They shouldn't have been in the position had they played the way they needed to play to win the game. So there's a lot of other things leading up to that play. Well, you know, 
it's uh, if a player uh, if a player drops a game winning touchdown, they or catches a game winning touchdown, he won the game. He won them the game. Yeah. If he drops it, oh well, they shouldn't have been in a position where they needed a last. No. If, if Gallagher game, didn't, if Gallagher wasn't in the room they, after Gallagher wasn't in the room after the game, but if he was there, he would have said I cost them the game. Like he's an honest. Yeah. Honest hockey player. He knows he cost him the game. That's probably one of the reasons why he was, I'm sure, furious with himself that he did it. Um, you know, and this came after the previous game where he had that horrible call against them uh, for tripping when the referee standing right beside him didn't make the call. Oh, man, yeah. Standing up near center ice did, which is mind-boggling. And Gallagher lost it in the penalty box, and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, one like that is different. Like, again, the, the high-sticking penalty is just being too aggressive with the stick, coming up too hard. Um coming up instead of maybe coming down on the guy's stick in a situation like that. Uh, but a Gallagher would be, I, I mean, as I said, I, I've been, I've dealt with Brennan Gallagher for many years and he's very honest when he plays well, he's very honest when he plays poorly. And I'm sure he would say, I cost my team the game with that penalty and I can't do that. And you know, it's tough. It's tough that it happened to Gallagher because by all accounts, he's been, He's been pretty darn good this year. Yeah. I got to say like, yeah. it, it, and it's nice to see, mm-hmm. you know, forget the money he makes. There's a, and it's unfortunate that you have to take the money out of the mm-hmm. equation for a lot of players, but you know, forget that he, it looked like he was done after last yeah. year, mm-hmm. finished post, even at the beginning of this year, it looked yeah. like he was, it was done. It was done for him. And he just, again, like you said, he just uh, like this team just keeps on coming. He just keeps on coming. Yeah. And and it's really nice to see, because like you said, a hundred percent on every shift, anytime he makes a mistake, it's not for mm-hmm. a lack of effort yeah. or, or something like that. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame other people. I said he would, he'd be, I'm sure Brendan Gallagher didn't sleep well last night. He was upset at himself because he cost his team uh, team a chance to win that game. And, and you know when he's when he's gone, like let's not get carried away here. He's yeah. not getting his number retired. Mm-hmm. He's probably won't go in the Ring of Honor. But there 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 has to be some sort of appreciation night for him because he has meant so much to yeah. this team and city for the better part of uh, I think it's like ten years now. Yeah, uh, that so, picture that picture of him. I think it was in the was the bubble playoffs when he got remember he was skating off the ice and there's blood all over his face. He looked oh like, yeah yeah that's right. He looked yeah. like something out of the Braveheart movie with him skating at a bench, his face covered in blood, and that's Brendan Gallagher. I mean, there, his one of the reasons his game deteriorated is just because his body fell apart. And why did his body body fall apart? Because of the way he plays. I mean, if if you know if he played like Yul Armia, he'd be healthy. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. Don't hit the danger area. He's not going to get hurt. Brendan Gallagher spends half the game on his butt, getting cross-checked in front of the net, or flying into the goalie. Or uh, I like watching when you watch him just in stick battles for the puck. He's so hard on his stick for a little guy and battling and whacking and hacking, and that sort of resulted in the high sticking pound the other night, uh, unfortunately. But. Nobody competes harder than Brendan Gallagher. He's a warrior on the ice. He always has been. He always will be. Uh, you know, at the end of his career, like every other player, you know, at the end of the career, you're, you're not playing that great because that's why you end up not getting another contract. But mm. the effort will always be there with Brendan Gallagher right until the final day he plays in the NHL. Uh, you know, another player who's been uh, – the effort that they've put into their game has really – uh, has really shown in the very few instances we've seen him this year. And I know he uh, – maybe the stat sheet won't uh, say he had a good game last night, but I thought he was okay, especially in the first period. Caden Primo, another good outing for Caden Primo. 
Uh, goalie lets in six goals, and you're saying, but I mean, he the first period, uh, he battled in that first eight, period eight, hard. Eight nothing, I think, at one point. And yeah, eight one when the Canes scored. Uh, at one point, they were on pace to get 60 shots on goal, uh, and he was playing fantastic. And then sort of broke down a little bit at the end. And the thing is, you know, I asked Marty St. Louis after the game, like, can you guys keep going with this three goalie thing all season? And you can tell it's mm-hmm. frustrating to him. He doesn't want to have three goalies. The goalies don't want to have three goalies. The goalie coach doesn't want to have three goalies. Mm-hmm. But Kent Hughes doesn't want to lose. He's all about asset management with Kent Hughes, and he doesn't want to lose a goalie for nothing. And he's worried that if Primo goes on waivers, somebody else is going to claim him. So until he either finds a trade for one of the three goalies, I think we're gonna they're going to stay with three goalies. Um, with Primo, there's a ton of scouts in the Bell Center press box last night. I tweeted out the list of them uh, before the start of the game, and you wonder how many were there to see Primo, or how many were there. You, know, you never know exactly why scouts are at which games. Um, but he did – if I'm a scout watching that game, you're going, okay, he was great at the beginning, but he ended up letting in six goals. You look at his career record, which is horrible in the NHL, and you wonder – I mean, I, I wonder I – mean, Ken Hughes obviously speaks with James and has a clue about mm-hmm. what's going on around the league. I wonder if someone would claim him because he's got a one-way contract too. He's making 800 grand this year, and next year he's like – I think it's 1.1 million. It's a lot to pay a goalie if he's playing in the AHL. Um, not as much as the Oilers are paying their goalie to pay play in the AHL, well, but, uh, but I with Kent Hughes, it's like it's just all about it. he doesn't want to lose a guy for nothing. But at some point, you got to we're talking about weighing the pros and cons with Mike Matheson, you got to weigh the pros and cons of carrying three goalies and carrying two goalies. I mean, today at practice, there was uh, an event going on in the second rink, um, uh, in Brossard, so the Habs only had the one rink, there's only two nets for the practice. So Primo was at center ice with the goalie coach doing some kind of drills on the ice without getting shots, without being – it's just it's not a it's not a good situation. You have one of the goalies who's sitting in the press box not feeling a part of the team. Even if you're a backup, at least you're sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're in the room. You feel like you're part of the team. It's really not a good situation, and I don't think they should allow it to go on much longer. I think at some point you just got to either – if you can't get anything, you put Primo on waivers, and if you lose him, you lose him because I don't think he's their goalie of the future. Um, I think – of the goalies have now the best bet to maybe be the goalie of the future is Samuel Montembeau because of his age. He's still been hot mm. and cold, uh, but I don't think they know who the goalie of the future is. That's why they drafted three goalies this year. And I think at some point you just you put Primo on waivers and if you lose him, you lose him. And if you don't lose him, he goes down and plays in Laval. Uh, but to have him, it's not a good situation for him either. I mean, he's, you know, it's three starts he's had this season. Uh, and the starts he gets are taking away starts from Allen and uh, and Montembeau. So I think that's something that Kent Hughes has to has to rectify sooner rather than later. Well, yeah, and I th- but I think that the Canadians are maybe using Samuel Montembeau as a cautionary tale when yeah. it comes to Caden Primo because he came on a little late. Yeah. Primo's still only twenty four. Goalies are weird. We know that. Mm-hmm. But like I, I, I'm on your side. I mean, if you talk to Tony, uh, Tony is the president of the Caden Primo fan fan club. Yeah. Uh, he, also got he was a seventh round pick for reasons, right? He well, that's it. He wasn't a first or second round pick as a goalie. He was a seventh round pick at that. You no, know, at seventh round, you're shooting in the dark, right? You're looking for needles mm. in the haystack and all those other cliches. You're not. You're not expecting to get an NHL player in the seventh round. And then they got Primo in the seventh round, and then he really stood on his head in university after being drafted, which sort of made him, oh, maybe he can be the goalie of the future. But at the end of the day, there's reasons why he was a seventh-round pick. And uh, Well, that's it. 
And you see, and you it's see just, it sometimes. You see, there's, there's, there's times he loses his net. And I was talking with, I was sitting with Herb Zerkowski in the press box last night, and I was saying, I remember telling him, I remember an NHL scout telling me a few years ago when Carey Price was hurt and saying, people don't appreciate great goaltending until they don't have it anymore. And I was saying, we're like, we just sort of took for granted how easy Carey Price made playing goal look, you know, like just going side to side, never lost his net. Uh, a lot of pucks would just hit him because he was in the proper position. You watch Caden Primo and it's, it's, it's not effortless going side to side. No. There's, he's scrambling. There's times he's losing his net. There's times he's, he's, you know, not, doesn't have his angles covered properly. As a young goalie developing, and he's not playing a lot, and that doesn't help it. But again, it's a case of Montreal fans are spoiled for so long with Carey Price just technically almost perfect as a goalie. Uh, to now, we're seeing guys who aren't as technically sound, and, and that's one of Primo's problems. That's one of the reasons he was a seventh round pick. I forget if it was the McNabb goal or the Marcheseau goal, but uh, he he lost himself pretty good. Yeah. Like there was a there was a screen in front of him, and he he lost himself pretty good in that net, and he looked like bamboozled that the yeah uh, that, that, that made or, its way behind him. Yeah, he'll slide uh, over the crease a bit. It's uh, when stuff starts going around and around, he 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 gets a little scrambling in there. Yeah. So uh, listen, I, I I'm a, I'm on your side. I mean, at at this point, you're not doing right by the player either. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you know, oh. that, forget, forget a development, forget a development thing. Just he wants to play games. Yeah. Whether, whether it's, you know, in, maybe he just wants to stick around in Montreal. Who knows? Oh, because he gets like Sam paycheck, but... in Florida, right? They put him on waivers. The Canadians took him. He was a guy looking for a chance somewhere yeah. else. And, and they did right by Perry, their guy. They could have started that season. He wouldn't have got that chance here. Right. But it was all of a sudden Carey Price was hurt and he was going to the rehab and they needed a goalie and they were desperate and he was on waivers and uh, Mark Bergeron picked him up. Um, so it's, 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 um, you now with Montembeau, you say goalies can develop later, but I, like I said, I don't think whoever the Canes goalie of the future is, is going to be, I don't think he's with them now. It's either one of the three kids they've drafted or they make a trade at some point with all these assets that Kent uses as stacked up and, and they get a goalie. Well, you know, and it's also like, I don't think your goalie of the future is coming down the pipe at this, at this moment. Like, I think, you yeah. know, when it's a goalie of the future, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I'm talking, I'm talking like yeah. Harry price level, like, you know, when yeah. that's coming, yeah. um, the, like look, who's that? Who's that kid? In uh, it's great being uh, turning twenty seven in a month. I could start to say kid. Uh, we're talking <laughs> about these guys. Um, Jacob, who's Fowler. that guy? Uh, no, in uh, in Tampa Bay, he just won his against the Canadians. It was his first career win a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's like twenty seven and got yeah. his first win in the NHL. You know, like. They're not clamoring, oh, the savior backup to uh, the ever-elusive backup to uh, Andre Vasilevsky has fallen into our hands. Or when, yeah. uh, you know, Zach Vokali, was it last year or two years ago that he made his first start for the Capitals yeah. and, and yeah. won? You know, like they're not clamoring that, oh, my God, we found the heir apparent to the net. Mm-hmm. You, you know when you have it, you know? Yeah, I mean, when they drafted that kid Jacob Fowler in uh, the third round this year, I mean, he's, yeah. really, he's really playing well at Boston College and looking at his updated stats he's got a 2.18 goals against average and a 924 save percentage as a freshman as a starting goalie in Boston College so maybe it's him you know it's uh but again there's a reason why the Canes drafted three goalies this year is because they're hoping to find a goalie they're yeah, exactly. looking for a goalie of the future that's why they drafted three goalies 
Yeah. So uh, the goaltending is uh, it's interesting because it was never a top. I mean, the only topic yeah. it, it was it was in Montreal when uh, whenever Carey Price was here, the, when, mm-hmm. when it was going bad was oh, I can't believe Carey Price is injured again. That yeah. that was the, the I mean, earlier in his career was the Halak Price controversy and whatnot. But I mean, the last you know, as I said, you just it's you don't appreciate great goaltending until you don't have it again. And well, that's it. You know, when we look at Carey Price, I mean, the Canes don't get anywhere near the Stanley Cup final in 2021 without Carey Price. Yeah. Well, that, and, well, that, it's just it's crazy because yeah. that that was, you know, everyone had thought that that was the it was over for like we would mm-hmm. never see that not that it was over because he was mm-hmm. still great but that we would never see that level again from yeah. Gary Price that we saw what was it uh the pre pre knee injury um mm-hmm. from Chris Kreider that year I think yeah or the, even just that year and a half stretch because it started when he won the cut when mm-hmm. he won the gold medal in the in the Olympics no one thought we would see that again, and then he 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 able to he was able to pull the rabbit out of how good, he, how good he would have been or maintained if he hadn't had the knee injury. I mean, like he was playing obviously in that Stanley Cup final, he was playing on a really bad bum knee, you know. It's, yeah, you know, and, and Shea Weber also was playing uh, almost like a cripple, you know, with all the injuries he he had. But um, for Carey Price, I think that's you know. I don't say when he retires, but he's basically retired now. But the thing looking back in his career that I'll probably always remember the most is just that 2021 Stanley Cup run. I remember game six against mm-hmm. Toronto when they got outshot like 13 to one in overtime. And he was standing on his head, and then the Canadians scored a goal and they went on and won the series and ended up going all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Um, it was incredible the performance he had he had then. And uh again, I, I think you know, Price had his critics in Montreal also, you know, like anybody go playing goalie in Montreal is the most, you know, there's no real, there's not many spots in sports that have a brighter spotlight than that. Mm. Uh, but just did from a technique standpoint and, you know, night after night, Carey Price just technically was a sound goalie and he'd go into slumps, but technically he just, you know, you didn't see Carey Price losing his net or, or not covering angles very often. And we see that more now. You know, what was the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, point of frustration that I heard when I was uh, back uh, back in my radio days from people was I because it was was he he played after the he got injured the year of the cup run right he played he had a stint in Laval a conditioning stint in Laval with Gallagher. yeah I think he did I think you're right but yeah I think he did play one game in Laval yeah so you were Gallagher I, played a game in Laval at one point too. Yeah, exactly. And I remember uh, Price played like a period or something in Laval and uh, he let in two goals and it, it was just like the reporters were laughing with him. He was a good sport about it. Uh, because yeah, so I was looking up here and it was 2020-21. Yeah, one game in Laval, uh, 3.03 goals against average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he let in two goals. He, he, he let in uh, two goals in the first yeah. period, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest point of frustration for fans who couldn't fully appreciate what Price did was, or th- maybe they did, was that they saw the what he was able to do in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then I, the regular season, before he, he got hurt, was not he was not very, uh, not very impressive that year. Mm-hmm. So... The biggest point of emphasis that I heard was always, what does this guy not care? He could just flip a switch and maybe that goes down to his demeanor because he was always yeah. everybody chill, like Aaron Rodgers, everyone yeah. chill. It's fine. I'll be okay. And uh, 
you know so that was a big big criticism point was like what does this guy just have a flick a switch he flicks because yeah. he starts to care or what but i mean you look back and you know the 2015 season when he won everything. I mean, just um, look at the side, you know, 66 games played, a 1.96 goals against average and a oh 933 God. save percentage playing 66 games. I mean, that's insane. That's just, you know, that's... Well, and that's the, that's the year that he went down that's with the, uh, the, the knee, with Kreider. Trophy, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the Kreider yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, I remember that incredible. because... I mean, that's incredible numbers. I mean, the, playing, that, playing that many games, 66 games, is, is remarkable. Yeah, exactly. And I don't even think in these days uh, that we've seen a goalie in the ones in go- and goals against average no, no. for the season. Like, yeah. it's been a while since you've seen a goalie who's played a minimum of, let's say, yeah. 40 games with those kind and of numbers. That was a healthy, really? healthy carry price, right? That's probably the last season that there was a really healthy carry price in goal. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so we'll we'll see what uh, all that to say. It's a, it's a bit of a tangent we went on there, but uh, we'll yeah. see what the Canadians I mean, all, do. It all comes down to, as I said, who the Canadians goalie of the future is going to be when they get to the peak of this rebuild where they want to get to. Mm. I don't think we know yet who that's going to be. I don't think. Yeah, I think. I don't think. I don't think he's in the system right now. I, I think internally they're kind of hoping that. You know where where was he? Uh, let's see where this guy was drafted. Like maybe they're hoping that Jacob Fowler turns out to be a uh, Jake Ottinger type, where like you know he he came on at uh, about twenty two, like two years ago, yeah. or last year was his. Or yeah, two years ago was his mm-hmm. real breakout season. So maybe they're hoping he could be like that. But again, Jake Ottinger was a late first round pick and not yeah. a third round pick. So. Yeah, and with Fowler, you think okay, let's say maybe three years away from being ready to the NA, for the NHL or whoever the goalie of the future might be, maybe it's mm. three or four. So, you know, you got Allen under contract through next season. So do you give Montembeau a three-year deal, hoping that that gets you to the point where you're maybe you're, you have a better idea who might be ready to come in as the next goalie of the future? Um so it's going it to be a tough – they don't need to rush on the goalie thing right now because Montembeau and Allen, like when they're rotating, I think it works well. I think with those two guys, I, I would just rotate them. You play what you're playing this game and just – you're playing every second game, both of you. Yeah, Unless exactly. When he, gets, when he gets a shutout or goes on a roll, we might put you in back-to-back. Split the games with them, but that three-goalie system, just it's, it's not three's company. It really doesn't work having three goalies. So let's, uh, let's shift gears here before I get you out of here. Um, one last thing before I let you go, because I know, like, I you're actually one of the first people I thought of when I saw this, because um, I was I was at work yesterday, and I'm just uh, talking to one of my buddies at work. He's a hockey fan, and he says to me, he goes, "Did you know the NHL was in Sweden this week?" I go, "I'll be honest with you, yeah, I would have." I would have said what holiday is it had I seen a 2 p.m. game on a Thursday and a Friday because uh, the only reason why I knew they were on – they were in Sweden was because I think it was Tuesday uh, Tuesday night against the Flames. The the broadcast on TSN did an insider trading segment and Gino Retta says at the beginning of the segment – Chris Johnston is in for Darren Dreger or or whatever it may or whoever it was because the NHL is in Sweden. I'm almost like, what the hell? They're in Sweden? Yeah. Like, where where's the marketing for this? Like, I mean, again, it's just there were a lot, there were quite a few empty seats from the game I watched the Senators game 
uh, in the rink there too. I mean, I knew because I saw it was uh, Gord Miller on Twitter saying he was right. streaming for dinner with uh, Mike Johnson, I guess it was. And I said, okay, they're over there. It's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's strange. And you wonder like from a TV standpoint here, like why wouldn't they play like the week, like Saturday, Sunday, like it's uh, the yeah. afternoon games in the week in North America uh, a lot of the stuff the NHL does is sort of strange with with those kind of things, but obviously they're you know hoping to grow the game more over there. But uh, you know, for the teams, imagine that's not an easy trip for you know the NFL does it, but the NFL plays yeah. once a week, right? You fly over to Germany, you get there Monday or Tuesday, I guess. Uh, you practice, you play on Sunday, and you fly back home on the Monday. But the, for an NHL team to go over there, play a couple of games with the wicked time change and different country and then come back and just continue your schedule of, you know, three or four games every week. That's got to take a toll on, uh, on teams. After it'd be interesting to see the teams that are over there, how they play in a couple of weeks when they come back. It's just like, like did this, I get doing this in a preseason context, Mm -hmm. you know, in preseason, no problem. You know, give the, give them the, it's a nice trip. Nice preseason mm-hmm. trip for the team too, no problems with that. But like, what's the point in the middle of the week? You know, like you said, it's just yeah. it's such a weird, weird decision. I, I don't get it. There's a lot of things this league does that I just don't understand. But hey, it's uh, yeah, I, I I'm at a loss for words. Like it was just being like Ottawa that struggled. I mean, they were up four nothing yesterday and they blew it, and then they came back and won in overtime, but. I said for a team that's that's really been a disappointment so far this season, going over there isn't going to help them. <laughs> As I said, I want to see yeah. I want to see the record on these teams in the, the week or two when they first come back, and their bodies trying to adjust to the time change again and the flight and jet lag and you know the NHL travel schedule is harder enough as it is without going over there. <laughs> Just the regular NHL travel schedule is brutal. You know. The, the just one last note uh, before we, before we sign off here is, you know, you mentioned you know Ottawa's been a disappointment. Like I just pull up the standings because you know I I hyper focus on the Canadians uh, for better or worse, but man, like I thought Buffalo was coming. I thought Ottawa was coming. Mm-hmm. The only I, I thought Boston was supposed to fall. Like every year, it's like Boston. Yep. It's something with these uh, – something's in the water with these teams from Massachusetts because, yeah. you know, Boston. they always said it about the – they always said it about the Patriots in football. Yeah. This is the year. This is the year they fall off. And then finally, obviously, yeah. Tom Brady retired, and then mm-hmm. they did. But it was something in the water with the in Boston. Yeah, I was talking with Jake Allen about this after the weekend games there against Vancouver and Boston, two, two teams at the top of the league, two different type teams. Yeah, and as you said, you know, with Vancouver, it's just they have so much talent. As you said, they have like three players in the top ten in NHL scoring, which is almost unheard of today. Uh, guys from the same team, young, fast, skilled. And I said Boston, it's just all about the team. You know, the Bruins have developed that culture, which Marty St. Louis is trying to do something. It's just, it's the, it's the Bruins have just this team thing. You know, Bergeron leaves, everybody's oh they're gone, Crutch, oh they're gone. No, they just keep winning. It's just that they have a real team concept they've built in Boston over the years. They've got a really strong, strong culture. You know, you talk about Bill, they haven't really had, you know, when was the last time they had a really high draft pick? Uh, 
you know, they've made the playoffs like seven years. You know, they're they're mm. they're just a, a team that year after year you can't count them out. They're just they built a real good um, team bond, team culture there that carries over. And some you know, Chara leaves and Bergeron, and they just it just keeps on. They, the guys that are left behind carry on the culture and the tradition and the team concept that was built before them. And it's 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 impressive to watch. It really is that a team that just keeps winning and winning and winning year after year. Because it's it's also like forget forget their lack of success in the uh, in the playoffs because whatever mm-hmm. uh, you know they've uh, for all their for all their success in the regular season and all their regular season dominance they've only only won one Stanley Cup yeah. and it was that one against Vancouver in the past few years but uh, you know last year I feel like that's like something you don't see very often what they did in the regular yeah. season last year. And it's like they're on a better, even better pace this year for 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 a regular season record. It, it's just crazy to me. It's absolutely they're also wild. outstanding. Their defense is outstanding. I mean, they're, the defense. Yeah. they don't play, they don't play a lot in their own end, which would certainly help. They got a lot of defensive yeah, well, move the puck, and uh, as we're saying, are willing to take some risks and they change coaches too, right? They change coaches. They have the best regular season ever, and the coach that left wins the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a really tradition they built there just continues on. So uh, we'll see if uh, hey, listen, the Canadians get a, uh, get another taste of the Boston Bruins this Boston uh, tomorrow night. I, I mean, listen again. I said this last week uh, when I had Shyla Alexi Brisbo on. I said I was expecting a big game from the Canadians because it's under the lights Saturday night, original yeah. six in the Bell Center, Montreal, Boston. Flip the script now. The only thing is, it's in Boston, and I know the Canadians haven't been playing well, but they they seem to always get up uh, for these big games against big opponents. And they, they're, very they're rarely, you, yeah, they're entertaining to watch it. this season. I mean, if, if tomorrow's game's anywhere near as good as last Saturday's game against Boston, it'll be fantastic to watch. And you know, even last night against Vegas, it was a fun game to watch. I think they're out of it. They come back, tons of goals, tons of skating. I mean, I say the days of the boring defensive Canadians are they're fun now. I mean, win or lose, they're, they're a fun team to watch. Yeah. So hopefully we get another fun one uh, tomorrow night uh, and maybe, Hey, uh, maybe we'll get an outbreak and uh, the, the Canadians will win again. And then we can finally have the Boston Montreal rivalry back. Cause it hasn't been go. much of a rivalry uh, in some time. Stu, thank you very much and enjoy the weekend. All right. And my condolences on your Bengals there. Thank you very much. It's very much appreciated. Uh, that's it. Uh, if you missed the beginning of the podcast, uh, the Joe Burrow, or if you have been living under a rock for the past, call it uh, eight hours, uh, Joe Burrow is out for the season. I'm very sad about it. Uh, all right. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for spending your Friday night with me. We'll catch you next time. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.